These are some of our uh, fetal abnormalities. They show different ways that um, babies were born. They're, I like these little pieces here show fetal developmental stages. Sorry, ice is being formed. It's a bar after all. The City Point development in downtown Brooklyn is part residential complex, part mall. Just beyond the Alamo Drafthouse ticket booth, four flights up, you'll find the entrance to House of Wax, an unusual bar operated by Ryan Matthew Cohen. I am a curator, and my more appropriate title is professional weirdo. See, this is, this is something that you don't see at every bar. We have like early circumcision tools being performed on wax babies. That's an original. Well, I've always been a collector, and I think that this bar came out of collecting, obviously. Um, and then if you walk around the bend, I literally live in a museum. Everything covers every inch of my apartment because that's how I wanted to live. Do other people want to be around that? I think so, actually, a lot more than I thought. Um, this was from actually a separate collection. There's, a, I think, one, maybe six of them. But he has real human teeth and real glass eyes. Is the hair very as well? Yeah, yeah, it's all human hair. To me, it's, I'm desensitized to it. It doesn't feel weird that I'm sitting on a stage at House of Wax um, surrounded by syphilitic genitalia and women giving birth. It's a very commercial building. There's a Target underneath me. There's a Century 21 and a Trader Joe's. There's nothing really all that edgy about those spaces. We didn't know if anyone would like it. We thought, you know, are people gonna be absolutely horrified by the collection? And so far we've had, you know, I'd say like 98% positive feedback. And we have, you know, school groups that come through and people in the medical field that come here and actually study the figures now. My wife and I would think we were just watching a movie and I got a call. My name's Joanna Ebenstein and I'm the founder of Morbid Anatomy. Joanna Ebenstein is the author of The Anatomical Venus and co-founder of Morbid Anatomy, a blog turned brick and mortar museum in 2014. We're catching up essentially and towards the end of it she goes, oh, by the way. Oh yeah, there's somebody who was getting rid of this collection from Kasten's Panopticon and it was about 150 pieces. It was in Germany. And I flipped out. And he became obsessed with it. I mean, it was like one of the best by far the best wax collection I'd ever seen outside of museum hands. It was just going to be sold off piecemeal. So everyone agreed, like, we have to find one buyer because it's so special to see this all together. I ended up teaming up with Tim League, who's the CEO of Alamo Drafthouse. What they try to do with many of their facilities is come up with an interesting theme for their bars. And so this ended up being the theme. While it was waiting to go to its permanent home of Alamo Drafthouse, I ended up putting it on exhibit at Morbid Anatomy. So Morbid Anatomy started as a blog in 2007, and then it very quickly developed a cult audience of people. The Morbid Anatomy Museum was forced to shutter in 2016 for financial reasons. Today, it's operated out of a temporary space at Greenwood Cemetery, but is often considered a museum without walls. So we produce lectures and field trips and exhibitions that surround these ideas of death, the body, and different ways that we've had to describe it and understand it over time. You don't see these collections together anymore. You see isolated pieces here and there, but because no one took them very seriously in the time, most of them just got dispersed or melted down or lost. It's very important to show these things that can be confronting. But what I think is very important is text that contextualizes it, which is why I hired this academic to write the text. I didn't feel qualified. Peter McIsaac, I am an associate professor of German and museum studies at the University of Michigan. When Joanna Ebenstein reached out, Peter McIsaac agreed to piece together a short history of the collection. This is actually a very important collection, historically speaking. Castans was founded in 1869, and it moved 
couple of times within Berlin. The collection originally came from what's known as a panopticon. In German, this is understood to mean a show of everything. It encompassed a lot of different things, natural history. Cultural icons, great writers. They like serial killers <laughs> for some reason. You know, scientific elements, medical elements. It brought them all together. And then there was, you know, live performances. It was really like this sensationalized museum experience. And they were for profit, so they were interested in drawing a broad audience, as big an audience as possible. Boy prostitutes in Weimar, Germany, they would take their johns to Kasten's Panopticon. Education and entertainment and titillation and real learning all went hand in hand. The internal anatomy, so just showing the organs, just so beautifully represented. And there's a lot of artistry that went into for these pieces. Obviously, like I said earlier, some of the pieces are a little crude in their representation. What you mostly see in House of Wax is medical specimens. And of course, we have like syphilis of different aspects of babies. Was there was a big cadaver shortage for medical students and medical professionals. Uh, so when you didn't have an actual human body, you could make a wax version of it. The medical abnormalities, those were cast from real individuals. A mold was made, wax was poured. There was an entire career devoted to making them and the people who supplied medical collections often supplied panopticons. So some of these objects are actually pretty serious. In the Castans, you might have seen a number of the objects are signed by this guy, E.E. E. Hummer. Who was a really, really famous anatomist during the 19th century. And I think we have five or six. You know, and it's sort of jarring on one level that there are a couple that depict various kinds of childbirth, you know, and he has the signature across the, the woman's leg. There was something of a medical ethics in Germany already by the end of the 19th century, but there was nothing like patient consent that we know of. These museums were interested in science, you know, and this was the new science of anthropology along with the science of medicine. Like, what's this one? Is a Papua New Guinea tribes person. Occasionally, these things are actually cast from real individuals and real tribes people. And some of them were probably on full bust. It wasn't just the bust, it was like a full figure. Uh, we just have the bust. But it's funny, in my storage, I still have maybe like 10 different stray bodies. <laughs> I don't know what, you know, they didn't go to the ones that we had here. We didn't really have the space either, so. The way that I look at this stuff is, it was like National Geographic before National Geographic. There was no National Geographic in the 19th century. Part of the sort of attraction side of the Panopticum also included live performances of various kinds. They would bring people from non-European regions and they would allow people to pay admission to come and, and look at them. Human zoos were at a lot of um, world's fairs. They were here in New York City at Coney Island. We had Igorot tribesmen on display. They were very, very underpaid. They were often exposed to a variety of diseases. A number of them died while they were performing. They would perform for a general public, but then they would also perform for professional anthropologists. So they would take body casts from the performers. The, the busts in the Castan's collection, those actually made in the context, supposedly, of anthropological study. You know, back in the day, they were really using these as medical models, and the way that they sculpt and illustrate Black people is so far removed from reality that I don't even understand how they could think that that should be representative of a human being. My name is Doreen Garner, and I'm a fine artist. Doreen Garner is a Brooklyn-based artist who has exhibited work at Recess and Pioneer Works. A lot of the work that I make is mostly 
around the exploitation of black bodies by the medical industry. I made several works. One that is called Rack of Those Ravaged and Unconsenting, and it's basically like a large steel rack that resembles a meat rack, and the carcasses that are hanging from the rack are actually cast from black women's bodies. I've worked in like beeswax before, but not a lot. I've started using Body Double Silk, which is a smooth on product. It's a silicone that's body safe and has like a self-release agent. So you kind of mix it up and it looks like green Nickelodeon slime. And you just like put it onto the body and then let it set up. There is like this element of like vulnerability and trust that they're placing in me to take care of their body, replicate their body well, um, but also making sure that it's not being exploited in any way. And that was like a really important part of the piece to make sure that people were not able to exploit the body parts and like touch them and fondle them. I ended up putting like steel pins in the skin so that people wouldn't be tempted to touch. Yeah, so each of the sculptures had its own defense mechanism. I bring people there so they can be like, what the fuck? I've seen those figures also at the Morbid Anatomy Museum. And when I first saw them there, I think I was more disturbed because that was the first time I'd seen them. One of my colleagues at the museum was very uh, worried about showing the ethnographic pieces and basically saying, we can't show these not my feeling and what I said is we have to show these but you know it's interesting like every other exhibition we had at Morbid Anatomy was covered by the New York Times and that was the one that wasn't I think people didn't know what to do with that material and I think it's interesting because we also had more people of color come to that exhibit than any other exhibit at that bar specifically I have like a really weird experience every time I go in there one because you know I'm drinking or whatever but two because most of the time the main demographic of the people in the bar is white. And so it makes me feel really, really uncomfortable um, that there are like depictions like this that are supposed to be representative of people that look like me. Before it was rezoned in 2004, downtown Brooklyn was largely populated by small Black-owned businesses. Three years after the rezoning, the Alby Square Mall was raised to make room for City Point and a string of other high-rises. Yeah, I think it's a tricky, it's a tricky space. Um, I wish, personally, there was more text contextualizing it. We worked very hard at the museum to make sure there was a lot of text that was very important. And I feel, especially in that neighborhood, I would want very obvious text, very close to where those waxes are that explain what this is and that it's explaining what the worldview that produced them was. You know, I think that's, seeing them as art objects, I, I get why they made that choice, and I think it's very striking. It's a very striking display, but... Um... You know, I think, like, the fetal specimens have made people a little queasy at times. But really, that's that's it, you know? Most people, even if they don't necessarily love the subject matter, they think it's very interesting. And I think the context that we've used here it, like it makes sense i just think that this was a more interesting way of presenting this than say i hate to say stuffy museum but some museums tend to be a little stuffy or they can be stuffy and so i think we wanted to try to create uh, a more interactive experience it makes me feel good that we were able to keep it together and that we've created almost a museum 
It is a museum. I don't know that there are that many displays of them today. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the the bar in, in Brooklyn is one of the few places you can actually see these things on a regular basis. You know, it's kind of funny. We don't even really have a... There's no prominent medical museums in New York. There's one in Philadelphia, obviously, the Mütter Museum, as many people might know. Uh, we don't have one in New York. So, yeah, you don't really see this stuff anywhere else. What I think you're, what I think I hear you asking is why should we show these things? Is that what you're saying? Or I guess what's what's different about encountering them now than right? Okay, I see what you're saying. I think now what they tell us is something about the past. To me, they they are a relic of an antiquated worldview that we're told to pretend didn't exist. And I guess maybe there's something perverse in me that just on the very principle that we're told to pretend it doesn't exist says, I think it's wrong to pretend something doesn't exist. I think there's something childish in looking away and saying, you know, no, no, no. I think it's important to look at things. I can't, I don't feel I can say what people should take away from it. I think it's very complex. But I think if you have this collection that comes and then you can say, well, that part we now think of as offensive. Let's not put it in. Then history starts to change, and the way we understand the past starts to change. And I think that does a lot of damage. <laughs>